Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. great pleasure and honor here. I've got three people that are working on, and I don't even think I can call it a fan film because it's just such high quality, but the Batgirl Spoiled series that's been coming on YouTube. First off, I have the executive producer and co-creator, Sax Carr. Hi, how's it going? And, and it is a fan film because it is generated for no money out of our fandom, although it probably is less a film because it's a web series, but fan film is definitely the right term for it. But it's so good. That's why I, you know. No. Yeah, but but we don't tie the term fan film to this. Thank you. We probably don't deserve that kind of. But, um, but but as it happens, you know, fan films don't have to be horrible. There there are a lot of great fan projects that are really really well done, and uh, you know, and and in that same way, I mean, if it has to do with quality, then then we could never be a you know as good as we want to be, and still call ourselves a fan film. Um, and I, I would say, like, the Batman movies aren't fan films, because I don't really think Chris Nolan gives a <laughs> <shit>, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have another co-creator and a co-writer, and Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Batgirl herself, Marisha Ray. Hi there. And we have a co-producer, the costume coordinator, and a founding member of Gotham Public Works, which is pretty awesome. And she plays Harley Quinn, Tara Strand. Hello. You are Harley Quinn. Don't let them discredit you. <laughs> yeah, you should just get your name changed to Harley Quinn. Is that possible? You know, I was at least going to do like a license plate. Never went through, but the name would be the next best thing. So, I'll Did consider. you get a legal alias? 
Could you get like a, you know, you could sign checks as Harley Quinn and it would still count because it's your legal. I bet right? I could. Do you think anybody's tried to do that yet? Well, that, could, I'm sure. You could probably Maybe. get like a DBA doing business as Harley Quinn. Ooh. No, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> oh, boy. Right. We started something here, I think. Uh, well, first cool. off, uh, for people that don't know, what is Batgirl Spoiled? Who wants that one? Sax, you take that one. You're good. <laughs> I think that's one for Sax, yeah. Um, <laughs> Spoiled is um, a web series, so it's a you know it's an episodic series that is playing out currently on YouTube um, that follows that in in, in at least the so far written twelve ten minute esque episodes uh, uh, <laughs> follows the story of Stephanie Brown, who was the third Batgirl, um, and for our money the best Batgirl, and who uh, and her journey to sort of rediscover herself after. Um, a tragedy causes her to lose faith in whether or not she belongs in the Batgirl suit. How did this idea come about? Ah, that's a, <laughs> an excellent question. Um, Sax and I actually kind of came up with this idea. Um, we we met at, let's see, it was Comic-Con 2011, I guess? I mean, I, we, I, think, I think we've since remembered that we had, you know, spent time together some other times like in social situations in parties or because I, I knew your boyfriend um before i knew you and i and i think that i i had met her then but right we had, well, like I mean, we cocktails first, at comic-con yeah, yeah we we technically first met because i auditioned for you and That's yeah right. through mm-hmm. mutual friends um but yeah we the first time we really like sat and had a lengthy conversation was over cocktails at the rooftop hyatt bar um, during San Diego Comic Con two summers ago, right? Yes, I think or, it was two. <laughs> two. Two, if you count that summer. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, and we decided there that we wanted to work together. So we decided that when we got back to LA, that we would meet up. Yep. And then I think we 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 discussed the idea when we we basically the the web series that she had auditioned to be part of that. Uh, her boyfriend had eventually, you know, signed on to be part of, um, which will go unnamed here, uh, was having a fair <laughs> amount of production problems, mostly because we, we had um, sort of tried to tie it to a larger entity that was sort of kicking us around. And Marisha and I really hit it off at this point. Like, we're like brother and sister, but at the time it was just clear that we had some sort of, like, you know, production chemistry. And we just decided at Comic-Con that we wanted to do something. And we both loved comics, and I think that was probably the idea. Like, let's do a comics thing uh, and it wasn't until we met back again in Los Angeles, California, on Melrose Avenue at a coffee shop called Stir Crazy, if memory serves. Um, and uh, we decided initially that we were going to do a Gotham City Sirens-related project starring right. Marisha as Poison Ivy. And, of course, yeah, that was... It, it started already... off as a short. We were like, yeah. let's do a short. <laughs> and yeah. Tara was already going to be... We hadn't contacted her, but we, had, we were like, <laughs> and clearly Harley Quinn will be, will be Tara Strand because she is Harley Quinn. And then somewhere between then and when we started really getting motion on it, I, I reread my, um, you know, Brian K. Miller, uh, Stephanie Brown arc in Batgirl and decided that I wanted to, uh, I, that, I, that I thought that Stephanie was a better narrative character because she was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer of the DC Universe. And so I proposed that to Marisha, which, you know, as people have pointed out in the comments, thank you very much, I had a perfectly <laughs> hot head that I made that, uh, and there's already a redheaded Batgirl, but I convinced her to not only be Batgirl, but be the blonde Batgirl. And then we 
then we contacted Tara because the sirens were always going to play a major part in the series, and she was our first recruit, and then Paradox Pollock. Yeah, from the very beginning, we knew that we wanted to feature the women of Gotham, which, especially when it goes to on screen, they normally don't get really their time in the spotlight. So we, we were just wanting to uh, really showcase them. Can I just say, too, how funny that is to hear? Like, I've, I've gotten little bits and pieces of it before, but it's never been as clear as it is now how we were going to do, like, you guys were going to do a Gotham City Sirens thing. And I remember when I first met with you guys, you know, that was brought up. And I looked at Merchant, and I'm like, oh, my God, it'd be an amazing Poison Ivy. And she was like, <laughs> yeah, no. So <laughs> by then the idea had changed, you know. So it's so funny that we both kind of, like, saw, like, that that would have been pretty, you know, cool. So in some other world, that would have been, you know, pretty cool. Right. But I, I think in, bringing in some, in some alternate dimension, I am Poison Ivy. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're totally one of my poison ivies, my my reds for sure. But yes. uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. But by by the time I met up with them, it was it was all Stephanie Brown, which uh, was cool because I I that's when I started to kind of get into that character too. Like I knew her a little bit as Robin. I didn't even really know her as spoiler. Um, but but I knew a little bit of her as Robin, and then uh, now I've gotten into her a little bit more. And uh, I think it's a really cool character to explore who hasn't gotten nearly the credit that she is due so hopefully we can give some of that to her well and then she got she got very she got so famous can we curse on this show well if you do i'll probably bleep you out well, that, that sounds even better um she had not gotten so famously <laughs> by dc uh at the time that we um we took her on like it wasn't clear what her future was going to be with dc mm-hmm. um and so you know we're we're happy to be some you know or a uh, uh, a series that people turn to to sort of get their Stephanie fix when DC comics is no longer providing it, but we never did it for that reason. We did it because she was the best character to write about because she was really compelling because she was driven because she had been so many other characters. Um, you know, she had been Robin, she had been spoiler, you know, she had been killed. There was a lot of, there was a lot to do with, with Stephanie Brown. And then it just happened. So happened that, that DC sort of, you know, bit its thumb at her. And uh, the Walfers for Steph movement started up and whatnot. But this was all <laughs> after we had made the, the choice to do the Stephanie character. And again, we're more than happy to rock that mantle of, you know, giving this character its due until the end of time. But it, we don't care if she was in every comic. We'd still make the series about her. Yeah, I think it did come at a, a perfect time just with the new 52 coming in and, and us losing all of these characters and not having any idea where so. they are <laughs> and you do such a great job of staying faithful to the Steph character because she's got that humor and she messes up sometimes as you can you know see she kind of gets in a little too deep uh, and then she's got a great w- relationship with Oracle as well which was something that was really I think highlighted in uh, the Brian Kimoa run as well so that was great how did you decide on the name? I mean, I have a guess as to why you decided on it, but did, were there several different iterations of what the name turned out to be? Did you have a couple other ones well, that I, you threw away? I will say, I'll say one that we threw away, um, and then I want to hear your, your theory before we tell you. But um, we, <laughs> we, we, for a long time, at the, um, at the indication of our creative director slash director, Damien Buer, we're just going to call it Batgirl the Web Series because that's much more SEO friendly. Mm-hmm. And people be like, I heard about this web series. It involves Batgirl. And that's all they needed to know to search us out. But we're comic book fans, and that's boring. And every good uh, every good comic has a cool title. So that's why we didn't go in that direction. Uh, but why do you think we called it um, Spoiled? Well, I, I do think it, 
<laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice amalgamation between what she is now, which is Batgirl, and then what she was before, which, you know, her sort of original identity as spoiler. And then you were talking about the storyline and that, you know, something bad happened. So I do wonder if that has something to do with it now. But those are my thoughts, just sort of combining those two identities that really make up who Stephanie Brown is. Uh, yeah, that's that's fairly accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we ended up with... Batgirl spoiled, which we kind of, you know, Dagon, no. We, uh, <laughs> Marissa's we parrot have... is in the, uh, uh, our, our, what is it, cinnamon green-cheeked Conyer. Yes. Oh. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, uh, we decided with spoiled because the story that we're really trying to tell with Stephanie Brown is watching someone kind of hit rock bottom and see where they go up from there. And with that combined with her, you know, previously being the spoiler, it just had, it had a lot going on that we really enjoyed with that title. And we played around, we were playing around a little bit of a, as a brat, which she kind of is. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, she grew up on the streets essentially. I mean, she was with her dad, but and we, we wanted something, you know, she's, she's a bit spoiled as well. And, and, uh, Part of this is sort of bringing the harsh reality back to the character, you know, and, and I mean, she was murdered once, so I suppose we probably shouldn't say that we're the first people to think of uh, <laughs> uh, of that. But I mean, like, you know, just the idea that the, that to some extent a lot of the Bat family are, you know, sort of living in a dream world uh, half the time and that when that gets ripped away from you, where do you go? Uh, mm. To take a step back, I kind of want to hear more about you guys individually and what your history is in your sort of individual spheres. So whether you're an actor or the creator, writer, and of course, you know, the artist, the the costume designer, how did you get started in those specific areas? Tara gets to go first because she has the best credits. Oh, God, okay. Um, God, you know, I am such a dilettante, I guess, (laughs) which I'm kind of dealing with right now. Uh, and, and, And rein me back in if I start to go way too tangential here. Um, but, uh, I guess, well, first off, as far as, like, you're just saying as far as, like, what we do that relates at all to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, uh, um, as far as, like, performance, uh, I've done a lot of things, everything from, like, still walking to juggling, burlesque dancing, physical theater acting, clowning, like, variety theater type stuff, mime, that kind of thing, um, and... Uh, as far as costuming, that sort of just was a means to an end in a lot of ways. Like, I really like being characters, and to be a really good character, you have to really have a really good costume. Um, and I was, you know, I've been kind of into aesthetic stuff anyway. Like, I, I went to school for um, uh, visual communications, which actually encompassed a ton of things from, like, graphic art to, like, display design, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and... Uh, well, what really got me into this world, though, of course, was just, you know, being a comic book fan and being a fan of Batman and Harley Quinn. Like, I totally grew up on Batman, the animated series. And um, let me see. I think, uh, like, when did it must have been? Let me see. Well, the first time I discovered cosplay, God, am I going way too tangential here? <laughs> no, go, go, go. It's, really, it's a really wide question, so I'm kind of like reaching pretty far. Um, but I remember like 
back in the 90s, you were actually allowed to go to Disneyland on Halloween and be dressed up and stuff. And so I really wanted to go and I wanted to be Alice in Wonderland. And I hand stitched this Alice costume that was pretty good. I'm just going to admit, pretty good. And, um, and I went and I was just Alice and people responded in this amazing way. And I just, that was my first foray into people like, you know, accepting you as this other character and being, you know, really into it and, and just you getting to just live that out. And, uh, and that was, I think, around the time, too, that I was also into Batman, the animated series, and got totally into Harley, um, totally related to her, just all this stuff. And so that was kind of my next uh, costume. And uh, then that, long story short, got me um, into, well, got me into forming uh, this group called Gotham Public Works, which was, as far as I know, actually, one of probably the first American Batman cosplay groups out there. And, um, and so our big thing was not only did we want, we, we just wanted to do it really right, you know, to live these characters and to be them for each other and for any other fans that enjoyed it and for ourselves. And so we just kind of found people who really related to each of their characters and who, uh, we could work with to put together really amazing costumes to just make it as real as possible for ourselves. And so, again, that was kind of a means to an end, but, I mean, I also enjoy that aspect, too. And, uh, and I find that I really like, like, you know, the, the movies are great, and it's so great to see that interpretation, but you kind of want to see something come to life that was your experience of those characters, which is, you know, the comic books and the animated series. And so that's kind of what I've always tried to bring in with our characters, something that looks like, you know, what you've seen on the screen or on those pages, but real life, but not so far real life that it's like kind of what the movies do, you know, but, um, um, but th that just makes sense to like that sort of, I don't know, childhood wonder that you had, like, first looking at those characters. Um, but that kind of works for them. Oh, my God. I feel like I've gone so broad. I don't even know if I've, like, touched on <laughs> the original question. I think you covered it. Yeah. Do you want to go right. next, Em? Uh, huh? sure. I can go next. Um, let's see. I guess many eons ago, I can attribute to getting my start in this crazy business because my mom put me in dance classes when I was like seven and uh, after doing dance, you know, just as a childhood sport, as a childhood extracurricular for many years, my dance studio began offering acting classes and they brought in, they brought in an acting coach and I was like, acting? What, what is this newfound thing? And I was like, okay. So I started taking acting classes and then just like totally fell in love with it. And I was like 12 and began acting uh, professionally in theater on the East Coast. So I did, uh, you know, musicals in New York. I performed in Chicago, Orlando, uh, you know, pretty much any major city up and down the East Coast. Ended up going to college uh, for a short time in New York as well as in Pittsburgh and both time majoring in acting. And then uh, eventually found my way out to Los Angeles. And I've, I've always been involved. I, I was always like the, the weird girl in school who was artsy and always related to the men more than the girls. 
Uh, well, boys. I guess there were boys. Men's make it sound <laughs> being pedophiliac. Um, <laughs> Um, but I was always I was friends with guys because growing up I was huge into video games, and video games kind of led into comics, and I could relate to the guys more. Um, so I've always kind of had that background, and I also do a lot of hosting out here. I do a lot of on on camera hosting, primarily in the video game industry as well as the comic book industry, and that all kind of started bleeding together, and. You know, once you get involved in a certain industry out here, you start meeting more like-minded people. And that's effectively how I met Sax and then, you know, met Tara and, and, you know, all these people because it's kind of a birds of a feather thing. And we've got to have an outlet somehow. So this is our outlet. (laughs) I don't don't think that that that's common outside of, like, geek subcultures, though. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that, like... There are not a bunch of people right now making a fan film to motocross or anything like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, so, Sax, I guess that, that, that was an adequate answer. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, I, uh, I was a geek, you know, my whole life, and I was really deeply into comics. I grew up in Maine, and I remember I would ride my bike 10 miles to a comic book store, and that was back when, like, Cyberforce and Max and all the other image books were coming out, and I had all these number ones during the speculation boom. Uh, and I was, I was seriously geeky and I'm the kind of guy who always appreciated the like Marvel, um, encyclopedia issues more than the actual comics. Like I just want to know like the long tail stories and like the details of characters and what they can and can't do and what their powers are. And I, I would, you know, I read all the role playing games associated with all these things. And, um, Long story short, through all of like college and whatnot, you know, and I can I can explain why I ended up becoming a, a film major. But at the end of the day, I, I was just I became a stand-up comedian, and um, I had been an improv comedian professionally in college, and, and I decided to go out on my own. And I moved to New York City, and I was doing pretty well at it, and I, I did well enough all throughout being a stand-up for I don't know maybe as much as six or seven years before I finally came out to L.A. And I met a girl in a comic book store in L.A. named Linda Pine, um, who was in Meltdown Comics. And she had a comic, like a, a geek show, if you will. And I had been dreaming of doing geek comedy because, as you can imagine, in my entire life, I had developed all these funny, funny jokes that no one effing got. <laughs> um, unless they were deeply into comic. I mean, you can only say so much about the Hulk before you lose the casual listener. <laughs> and uh, and I did her show after, and that show was very famous called Comedy Meltdown, and now it's called The Meltdown with Jenna Ray. It's, it's like a it's like a kingmaker of a show now. It wasn't so much then, but it was very well done. And I jumped ship from that show to another geek show called Comics and Comics, which was all um, uh, geek stand-up, but much more nerdy and much more, like, you know, insulated. And I really fell in love with that, and I eventually got, you know, I, I recorded an album of geek comedy, and I sort of did a fair amount of, like, touring and doing shows at uh, conventions, and I became the host slash, you know, like an associate producer on another show that was basically, like, you know, comedians plus comic book creators. And that show, which I will not name because I'm about to defame it, was, was like, horribly poorly run. It was just the, <laughs> the, the, the guys behind it did not really know what they were doing. And so... I sort of was forced to learn. I had to reuse the skills as a filmmaker that I had not been using. I was a casting director at the time. 
um, to sort of, you know, backseat produce that show, and it, which eventually, of course, led to me leaving it. And I decided I wanted to start doing my own projects, and I got, you know, more deeply into production. And for as as I'm sure there are bruises literally on Marisha's body from me uh, convincing her to take ninja classes basically for the past two years. I'm pretty good <laughs> at um, convincing people to take a risk and do something. And so that became another skill that I used. So with, with, all, the, with all the geek experience I had and, and knowledge I had, and, and I at the time was getting paid as a writer as well in, in film and television and online, um, I was able to convince what we call bat cow productions to come into existence which is bat cow stands for coalition of the willing you know no one none of us are getting paid we can't we don't own this project we don't we don't own these characters so we can't make any money and everyone's doing their time for free and that sounds like something whenever anyone says that that usually means like for the space of this you know cumin race for the cure we're all donating our our time for this six hours on a sunday this project is two years old, you know, full time, pretty much, you know, full, full part time. Um, Marisha takes, uh, you know, fighting classes twice a week. A lot of our uh, other talent does that. We have, we have full time thugs who are only going to be in like two episodes, but still meet at those, at those classes twice a week. We have like some of the best people in the business. We have, you know, our, uh, every every piece of this puzzle has come from people who are really talented in the industry or wanted to show that they could be talented and for whatever reason, that's the skill I have is to sort of catalyze those people and then also make snarky jokes. Um, <laughs> apparently, apparently, Sax Car fans can hear a lot of my comedic voice in Stephanie in episode one. I'm not so sure that's true. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I mean, I think something that I'm, you know, uh, forgive me for speaking on behalf of all of us, but something that we all share is, one, the ability to be more probable at being successful in this town, you have to be multifaceted. So pretty much everyone involved in the team is a producer, as well as a writer, as well as an actor, as well as someone who <laughs> holds a boom pole when they have to. Um, and, you know, we it's L.A., it's, it's hard. And eventually you get to a point where you're like, if we're just going to start making our own stuff, because why not? And we can. And all of these people who want to be involved, who want to show that they can get up and be a stunt guy and take a fall or who want to show that they can make costumes and be good at it, we want to offer that to people. Yeah, and that's really the only guaranteed way, especially, I mean, you'll even hear it from, like, seasoned professionals, like, even listening to a, a, like, recent Nerdist podcast with, like, Tom Hanks, you know, they'll even say, like, that's the only real surefire way to get to do what you love is to just make it on your own and the way technology is set up now you have really no excuse not to and right. so it yeah it's so great to be around here with like so many like-minded people who are just as stoked to do that and to use you know all the uh, resources that are available so it's just like you kind of have to and uh yeah if you want to be these characters and just do these things whatever you want to do you can do it and so it, you just really have no excuse to not you kind of have to Okay, the next uh, part of it, and really the second part, I just divided up between costuming, acting, and then rounding out everything with just general series and production questions. So starting with the costuming, would you be able to describe sort of the general process you go through from start to finish, just designing and then a fully realized piece of clothing? Um, Yeah, well, first, I think it's the the process is going to shift a little bit now that, like, 
Um, we're starting to get some funding, and so we'll be able to come at it from a different place of, like, um, not just, like, okay, what can we pull off as cheaply and quickly as possible, like what we were trying to do with, like, you know, the uh, the teaser trailer and all that, um, which still... Uh, I, I should, should point out that, that, that what the code for um, starting to get funding is, I got an okay job, so... Thank you, uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, and and hopefully we can you know get some fan funding in the future too. Because I don't want it to come all out of your pocket. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly that. Uh, so so before it was like you know what we have around, what we can pull off, what people are willing to contribute to make something that looks at least you know that we're proud of and looks that looks good on on film. Um, and so, yeah, so now that we're going to have a little bit more funding, it's going to be a little bit different. I will say for me, I took a lot of, uh, guidance from Sax actually, because he had some really great concepts for how he wanted some of the characters to look. And that helped a lot to kind of just take that like, all right, cool. I've got a great concept. I'm going to run with that. Um, and, uh, let me see. Um, so well, some- uh, we should mention that, um, you know, uh, there's a couple of, of notable costumes in the series. Uh, the back row costume, which we can probably speak about in length, which we not yeah. only designed, but designs to survive two and a half days of 12 hours of fighting, which oh most God. costumes at Comic-Con are not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and we spent the most, I think, on that. That was, you know, maybe $1,000 that we all threw in to sort yeah. of make that happen. That was the one that we wanted to do as right as we possibly could from the get-go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we still plan on probably making it again around the time of, you know, episodes three and beyond. But also, you know, we basically fully redesigned the Catwoman costume because we didn't, there were so many Catwoman costumes and so many Catwomen and so many, you know, Anne Hathaway was coming out as Catwoman around the same time as episode one. And we just really wanted to have our own, like, spin on the character. And for whatever reason with Catwoman, it really needed its own thing. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the sort of... 11th hour choice to spin in purple which was Tara's, I'll give her credit for that really not only made it our Catwoman but also made it a series relevant Catwoman because the purple accents, you know, echo the spoiler costume and Stephanie's, you know, purple uh, flanked costume and then we should also mention that for most of episode 2 we were, we had uh, Tara basically in a special pregnancy (laughs) accepting um, uh, Harley Quinn costume (laughs) Uh, and we also had to use a body double in that uh, that episode, which you could never tell because Tara was like 90 weeks pregnant at that point. And, uh, and, and, and you know, we got to the point where we had to keep shooting as much as we could in the same week. Otherwise, we would have had to keep taking stitches out of her costume so that her belly could fit in it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, those are the three pretty, like heavy hitter costumes I think we had. What, what yeah. sorts of uh, references, like comics or otherwise, do you use in, in looking at these costumes? Or, or do you, I mean, in saying that you wanted to sort of stay away from the Anne Hathaway that was coming out, do you try to make it as original as possible? But, you know, with the exception of Steph, obviously, you were really taking that from what she was wearing in Brian Q. Miller's run. Yeah, like, for Stephanie, for starters, I mean, we wanted to, since she hasn't really been represented that often um, in real life, we kind of just wanted to make her the iconic look of what people who are fans of her know her as. And there's a couple of different versions of that, but we kind of um, took what spoke to us most and what basically looked really like the coolest of her costumes and tried to build that into her suit. So what was kind of fun with her was just like, you know, nobody's 
or few people have really done her. And so we could just take her like as pure as possible um, and make that happen. And we had this amazing uh, uh, costume builder, Sharon McGonagall, who, you know, built like all like that cool paneling on the sides, you know, Stephanie has like that purple on the sides and everything. And um, as far as Catwoman, I know like we, we've been fans of some of the designs from the video games, like uh, Arkham City and Arkham Asylum, that Catwoman and like all the cool strappy stuff going on with her was really awesome. And uh, I like that sort of sack kind of pulled from that as far as, you know, we wanted her to be functional. Like, that's the other thing is you want to, when you bring them into real life, you want to think about what would they need to do to actually do what they do in Gotham. And so, you know, Catwoman's got to, like, scale buildings and, you know, all that stuff. So what does she need? You know, she needs, like, D-rings and straps and, and you know, carabiners and stuff like that. And uh, so it kind of came from that, which you also kind of see in the video games. Um, but again, we did like a little bit of the throwback purple to like old school Catwoman, but with like the new, you know, cool functional stuff that she's got. Um, so, yeah, so we just kind of like try to play on like whatever's going to be the coolest to see of those characters for fans, I think. Because we're all fans and we want to, you know, there's different aspects that we want to see come to life. And I think that's what we've always tried to pull in with them. And it wasn't so much that we were avoiding Anne Hathaway, although, you know, I think it's, I think we would clearly like to say that we weren't intending to be Anne Hathaway for some reason. The the Nolan films, you know, which are for some people, I guess, um, uh, because they were coming out at the same time as our series, uh, you know, was and is going to be coming out. A lot of people really only know, you know, the the rainy day geeks, and, and I'm, I'm not one who judges people for not being, like, deep enough into the geek culture as I am, because who could be? But, I mean, also, um, you know, and, like, there's no fake geeks in my world. But that said, there are clearly people who only like certain properties based on, say, the movies or TV shows. And the only character that we really cross over into our series from the movie into our series was going to be Catwoman. Batman's in it, but not really. It's really a Batgirl story. So if we're going to have put Catwoman on stage, we you know we know that we're going to get the comparisons to Anne Hathaway. And frankly, we didn't want to do the Anne Hathaway Catwoman. We didn't want to approach the Anne Hathaway Catwoman. So we made it a clearly different suit than the Anne Hathaway Catwoman in every conceivable way. Because you know a lot of the a lot of the comments we were going to get are this isn't Anne Hathaway, which seems so sad to me. But it's the same <laughs> thing as as we get a lot of comments being like, why is Stephanie Brown's hair or why is Batgirl's hair blonde? You know, these are from people who only know, you know, Barbara Gordon and only, you know, largely from super best friends, you know, like they, you know, (laughs) it's, it's not, I'm good for you. If you fall in love with like, you know, me and Tara grew up on Batman, the animated series and and we love it. And it's, and it was really the way that a lot of these characters were defined for us, but we're also capable of realizing there's like 50 other sources. And if these people aren't going to appreciate these other sources, then we're going to have to make it clear that our characters are distinct. And so, you know, we, yes, we, we've interpreted a lot of these characters differently. We've made them our own. We've made them clearly not from other sources. But when it came to Stephanie, we wanted it to be a love story to Brian Q. Miller's run because I, I personally think it's probably the best X months of bat books of any type that Agreed. has ever come out. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, um, I mean, I'm sure Tara can go on and on about, like, how a regu- like a standard costume is sewn together because, you know, a lot of these costumers and, and whatnot, if you're interested in it, Tara definitely knows how to like make a costume that will look good, but we we really had to get a professional to you know like a, a professional like 
film costumer to build Stephanie's suit because yeah. we intended to beat yeah. up so much. Well, yeah, not and- to the fact, we went to several costumers before we found Sharon, and we kept, you know, several well-known cosplay costume designers. And <laughs> we went to, like, three or four, and every single one of them said, oof, spandex, and you wanted to be practical? No. No, I can't do that. And <laughs> yeah, we really, uh, we lucked out by getting in touch with with Sharon because yeah. she was like, yes, I can do that. We can make this happen. Because um, well, that was a big thing. Yeah. We, we weren't, we're not privileged enough, uh, for example, on all of these Christopher Nolan films. They have a fighting suit and then they have a show suit. And we couldn't have that luxury of being able to afford not only two, but the, you know, a lot of these films have three and four and they have a long cape and they have a short cape and they have a bike riding cape. We needed everything to work and look awesome in this one costume. Uh, yeah. and, and we also needed it to last because, you know, at this costume costs a thousand dollars. It's probably not, or if not more, it's probably not going to last much past episode three. We're actually thinking about re- redesigning it now, um, you know, in the break between two and three, uh, while we're sort of re, you know, resetting the production of the series to, to get ready for a, a faster production schedule. But it, it, you know, we shot with it for like 20 or 30 days you know, a lot of these costumes that, that even are made for film and television won't last that long. And they just have, like, 20 of them on a rack. So now they have, like, mm-hmm. a fight suit and a picture suit and, like, a sitting down on a chair that might be, you know, when the butt is too tight in the costume suit or whatever sort of bull. <laughs> they also have 100 in reserve so that every time... I think there's some great footage uh, that we're going to release after episode two comes out of Marisha like bent over a chair while a very pregnant Tara sews up like the rip <laughs> the butt of her costume, um, yep. and like that's what, we had to do like field surgery on this thing a lot to get it through. Um, and and uh, you know when you're, when you're doing something that needs to last, it needs to be made in a real in a, in a quality way. We had to go out and shop for special fabric for it. You know, we had to, we, and, and we also, it took a long time for the, the, the teaser that we put out. We affixed the bat symbol to it like an hour and a half before we shot. The gloves were made like even with less time. Like the, the original gauntlets that we still use today that were just made to be temporary gauntlets were made in like, uh, you know, the night before on a, during a bender or something. Well, they, they actually made um, the morning of because I was exhausted from the week leading up to shooting the teaser, we were doing fight training every day yeah. and, and doing practice every day. Um, and a lot of what I mean every day, I mean like day, like we weren't doing rehearsals under eight hours. And uh, we got up to the night before the shoot. And my boyfriend, who is amazing and also an experienced costumer, um, got up at like 8 a.m. to make the gauntlets and the gloves while I got sleep because I didn't go to bed till like three. Weren't you like so- sick too, like the week before, like some wicked cold or something? Yeah, that, never that been was healthy first, that we've the shot. first episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think you were probably somehow, you were beat up or you had been injured or something the night before. You never come healthy to set that we've shot. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's probably oh. because we, I work for 72 hours uh, without sleeping the day before and then we're like, let's film. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that, that, that I, I, I don't know, like I'm 
I'm personally probably never going to have kids. Tara now has them, so she can maybe tell me. But, <laughs> like, you know, it must be really interesting to sort of have, you know, produce the child inside yourself and then not really be able to make sure it has all the right limbs until nine months has happened later. <laughs> we didn't assemble the Batgirl costume in any serious way until, like, yeah. the hours before shooting that teaser. And oh, we, we hadn't yeah. even seen Marisha in the wig. I think we bought the wig just before. And, and so, um, you know, I, I'm walking around on set, and the, that... That shoot, and I feel like you could see it in that one, really we, we had to do it in a certain timetable. We were losing key factors, and we pushed it probably too fast to put together that teaser. And we had to basically spend an entire like eight-hour day reconditioning this the fight space that we did all our training in to look like this sort of thug's loft, and that was difficult, and we didn't have any money for like food and other things like that. And we, so we were, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel to make everything happen. And I'm, you know, absolutely shell-shocked and tired. And then we, like, click the belt on Marisha for the first time, and she's wearing the full costume. And it's like I've pulled the character out of the Brian Q. Miller pages yeah. and put her into reality. And I swear, I mean, it was like it was like seeing my child for the first time. It was incredible. I was, like, That was totally exciting. <laughs> I, I, I mean, actually, I'll never forget that moment because... Um, the moment I was completely in the suit, um, all of our producers and production team just couldn't stop staring at me, and they weren't doing it in a weird way. They were doing it that in like a I saw Santa Claus for the first time kind of way. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget Sax just staring at me, and he says, "I can't believe we actually pulled that off." And that was that was like the first thing that came out of Sax's mouth in regard to the entire costume being on. It was, it was a good moment. Yeah. It was. And then and the then, belt buckle fell off at some point and I had to glue it back on, but still glorious. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, then, and, and I think maybe an hour after that, somebody's car was broken into on the street. And so because we had no available staff, even though I was the executive producer, I spent the next two days, 12-hour days, out standing in, in the parking lot to make sure nobody's car was robbed so our crew would walk off the set. So I didn't actually see a lot of the teaser get filled. I was like, man, that costume's great, but I'll see you guys in two days. And then I went and stood outside in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, we were running we were running PAs back and forth if we needed to ask Sachs a production question uh, because he was, he was also our security guard. <laughs> Which didn't make a lot of sense. Like, I forced, like, a PA or somebody to stay with me at all times because, one, it was, you know, boring and cold out there and I, I didn't have any... You know, like, my phone was out of charge already in the day. But also, I was like, what am I going to do if somebody's breaking these cars? Just add a corpse to the whole experience? Like, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, uh, for the costumes that, for, you know, the costumes coming up in the series, and I should mention for those that have seen the character trailer, they see, you know, the question in Batwoman and whatnot. Those, largely those costumes are incomplete and shot very cleverly and using borrowed stuff. <laughs> like and and still people like them because Tara can't go wrong when it comes to costumes. But uh, we we you know if they're if you're wondering, geez, that's weird. We don't see this person's whatever. It's probably because we shot around it because that piece of costuming hadn't come in yet. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure I'm yeah you know that's like that that's that may be the reason that the Riddler appears almost entirely in darkness is because I think we had a hat and a cane. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, and I had to like make a, a a men's tie for the first time ever, which is not easy. Very, very weird. So, yeah, all kinds of weird little tweaks like that. But, uh, you know, he's going to look good, though. Yeah, it's all yes. up. And we, we, <laughs> we have a – we um, one of the things that we go to all the time that I highly recommend it is Project Rooftop, which is um, a oh, wonderful yeah. – like, uh, you know, people put in their alternate costume designs for all these great characters. 
and I can't remember who the uh, artist is now, but uh, we will eventually probably give them a thank you credit. Our Riddler costume is highly inspired by a Riddler costume that I saw there. I just fell madly in love with, and I like ran across town to Tara's house and like busted her door and like I don't care how pregnant you are. Look at this thing; it's amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's that's largely where we're coming from. But Talison Jaffe, who's playing the Riddler has also sort of wildly informed that character just by his own character work. I mean, this guy has gone really deep into this and figured it out. And, and you know, it's funny, when, when we brought on Talison and offered him, like, fight training and everything else, I kind of figured it was just coincidental. But his fighting with Marisha, like, the, 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 the work they're doing improvisationally in training is so amazing that, like, we're writing Riddler and Batgirl fights just so we can see it on screen. So, like, that's been really cool, too. Mm. Are there any funny or scary stories about just accidents that have happened and you've had to somehow work around like a rip or just something really crucial <laughs> to the costume? Any funny ones or scary as in, oh, no, what are we going to do? Um, well, I mean, I guess there's been tons of scary moments and we have had our fair share of injuries. Um, the uh, If you saw in the first fight, we have a character whom you don't hear his name in the character, I'm sorry, you don't hear his name in the episode, um, but his character name is Jackalhammer, and he is the thug wielding the sledgehammer that gets in the lucky rib shot. And um, in order, and Paradox Pollock is our fight choreographer and movement director, who is absolutely amazing. Um, If you get a chance, go look up his IMDb resume and his reel on YouTube. Um, He was the movement director in Thor, as well as I Am Legend, and a ton ton of other stuff. And um, in order to get the actual feel and movement of working, of using a sledgehammer as a weapon, we used a live actual sledgehammer. Um, We had a foam sledgehammer, but I think it sat by the side of the room the whole time. We did use, we used the the foam sledgehammer for like close-ups. But even in training, we were training with a real sledgehammer and then brought on the actual sledgehammer, or the, I'm sorry, the fake <laughs> sledgehammer for, for filming. Um, and I did get a sledgehammer handled to the face once, but luckily I was wearing a cowl and the cowl actually protected me. Did that? Bit. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I still had a little bit of bruising. It hit me like right across the cheekbone. So I had a little bit of bruising, but had I not been wearing the cowl, because it definitely like absorbed the blow. I was I was pretty excited about that. I was like, eh, the cowl is functional. Yeah, That's so real. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, and at the time we hadn't really formalized our relation with Reeves FX, who provided that cowl. It would have sucked if it had like split, yeah. and then we would have been. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah he's since been um, like, love it so much. Like, I want to contribute whatever I can to the show. So yeah, he's pretty happy to give that cowl. Cool. We, uh, we also, there's a great sequence in episode two where Catwoman is using the whip, and there's, um, this is one time where we're, during a whip scene, she whipped one of the other actors, and he just went down, and, like, it looked like she had really caught him, and for whatever reason, he just stayed on the ground, like, an extra 30 or 40 seconds, and, like, you could see all the producers, like, taking their phones out, like, we were gonna call 911, like, we thought we'd put his eye out, and then he's like, what's going on, guys? Like, he wasn't doing it on purpose, he just got up, and was like, was like, that was a tense moment on set. He was an extremely dedicated stunt performer. <laughs> and um, our Catwoman was a seriously awesome 
whip mistress and <laughs> it just it looked really good i think we got, we we're using that take in the second episode yeah, I yeah, yeah. oh isn't that the episode two where you actually like kick a down sax to the gut yes yeah, yeah. um <laughs> yeah there's this amazing moment where uh Sax decided to kind of Mel Gibson it and make a producer cameo. And we needed a thug to just be lying on the ground in the background. And at the end of this, like, emotional scene, um, and Stephanie is pretty irritated, she turns around and as she's leaving the warehouse, she kicks this thug that happened to be Sax. And I happened to be a little bit closer than I had intended and just straight up like shin kick nailed him in the gut and uh continued on with the take that's that's the rule like even if um if you get hit if you get punched if you punch somebody you keep going and then when the director kills and when the director yells cut then you go hey man are you okay (laughs) um so i just straight up kicked him in the gut and then walked off but felt awful (laughs) i i felt how hard i hit him so i can only imagine how it felt but once again that's the that's the take we are using it looks great because it actually is real yep and we punched marisha a couple of times and and i think i definitely saw marisha put a a boot or two to a thug's face throughout the times but the the costume is like weirdly more durable yeah so it's functional and it's uh, it's good looking. So that's great, great to hear. So my last question here, Tara, what are your favorite materials to work with, and what are your least favorite? What materials just give you a headache trying to put together? Oh, that's good because I, I will say I've, I've got to say I commission off a lot of stuff. Um, I will especially commission off anything that stretches. Um, spandex, you know, any kind of like four-way stretch stuff. Like I don't even want to bother. Um, anything that I make on my own own are usually like period costumes out of like wool and linen and Lindsay Woolsey and you know. Um, so so spandex can go right to somebody else. Right. Um, but, uh, spandex is a bitch. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. Um, and so, and I'm usually good with like collaborating, collaborating with people on how I want that to look and how it needs to be and all that. But I don't really touch it. I touch fabrics that don't move. Um, so yeah. I I think, I think it strikes me that stretch fabrics must mostly be for people who want it to stretch over a body. And if you can, if you can, you know, design the suit to be figure hugging, it takes care of itself. So yeah. Once you get it there. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I I haven't bothered with that. Like I said, I, I just commissioned that off to people, which has been nice because because there's enough other stuff to make. Like even for my own Harley suit, like my first one, you know, I had somebody else make that, but then I I worked on like you know the the wrist ruffles to do to be like Elizabethan style and you know like all that kind of detail stuff I like, but just yeah, the stretchy stuff is no bueno. <laughs> um, and I I'll even prefer to make stuff that's like. Uh, like from molds or whatever, like out of, you know, like urethane or whatever, you know, just other kinds of materials. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I draw the line. Well, I have a lot of respect (laughs) certainly for what you do. Uh, my only sewing knowledge comes from a fourth year architecture project I had to do. And I kept wondering why the thread was getting all jammed up. And I realized I didn't put the foot down on the sewing machine. So that's my (laughs) level of expertise with costuming for sure. Yeah, it's um, Well, to be fair, being a fourth-year architect student, I think uh, 
nullifies you from <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of embarrassment. Oh <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, moving on to the the acting part for Tara and Marisha, how would you describe your particular characters, and what sort of like mindset do you go in when it's you know it's action time? Um, well, it's funny because I think each of us have ter- we've ended up like doing most of our acting somewhere around four in the morning, right? <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. A lot of yeah. our scenes were 5 a.m. after <laughs> we've done fight work. Yeah. So so that's always kind of interesting. But um, let me see. But as far as like, well, for one thing, you know, you're bringing these characters into this other kind of world that we've created. And there's a certain tone that you want to fit. Uh, and so trying to strike that balance while being the character that everybody knows is sort of interesting. Um, actually, from a technical standpoint, too, and I know Marisha and I discussed this. Um, this is maybe not as good as But uh, there's acting through, like, the makeup and the mask and the cowl is sort of uh, and a thing in all in itself, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, like, like the way, the way you look at things looks different, and the way, you know, your head position is looks different, it just, everything is weird, and I know Marisha, like, can't hear things, and, and, you know, eyes will look odd in the mask, and so, so you're kind of also playing this, like, sort of technical thing while just trying to, like, be that character, and, um, and so it's interesting, too, because, uh, I think, um, well, for Harley, for one, you know, she's been portrayed mostly only, you know, on paper or as a cartoon. And so there's, you know, you kind of have to find which version of her, like, there's, you know, video games too, like which uh, version of her is going to work for this and which one to kind of like pull together to right. be, you know, our, like the Batgirl spoiled Harley Quinn and the Batgirl spoiled Stephanie Brown. And, um, and I think, you know, we may even st- still be feeling some of it out, but, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's funny because it's such a different thing to kind of like go around conventions and be the character than to like live their like emotional world in this particular story. Um, but it's a really cool thing to, to get to delve into and uh and when i did get to join like marisha and the other team um with paradox pollock for our fight training one of the things that he did too was uh, a lot of character training where you actually really go into the psyche of these characters and um just get really deep with it and it's been so rewarding like as somebody who's really loved these characters to kind of get to delve into them in this really deep and like um visceral way yeah yeah it has been really really cool and so hopefully more and more we'll be bringing that to the screen but um but it's it's uh it's scary and exciting at the same time to bring such iconic characters that you love and that so many people love uh to this world and to like have our own little gotham to get to play in so that's kind of where i'm coming from (laughs) yeah i mean i mean and um i i and once again, I don't mean to be speaking from Tara, but I'm, we've kind of talked about it before, where when you're playing a character who's already established and is not not even established but has a massive fan base and a, a love from the general public, there's a lot of responsibility there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the whole time, and, and you know, we've, we've read the comic series, you know, and of course I, you know, 
were all huge fans of the animated series. And I still, even throughout this process, even though I've read through Brian Q. Miller's series multiple times, I'll still pick up comics every once in a while because we're doing this project for the fans. You know, this is a, a fan kind of project and we don't want to disappoint there. And, but they're like Tara kind of touched on, there's a certain process on taking these very fantastical characters and bringing them into real life. And, you know, there's only so much of comic book Harley that you can bring into the real world without it just seeming absolutely over the top and absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a process. And going back to acting through the suits... Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The along with the difficulties of actually acting through these really large costume pieces, <laughs> um, there's also character challenges because we're effectively when we're in our suits, we are that character acting. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so I am acting as Stephanie Brown, and Stephanie Brown is acting as Batgirl. So we're always also kind of in that balance of our alter egos as our characters and trying to find what they do differently. And that's something that people experience every day in life. You know, women walk differently when they're in heels and mini skirts and feeling really hot about themselves than they do when they're in their sweatpants at home. You know, we move differently based on what we feel like and based on what we're wearing is very heavily influenced. So there's always two sides to the coin that we have to consider. Um, and, and yeah, we've had moments in, in rehearsal and in fight training where, it's not uncommon to look over and one of us will just be in tears, just yeah. sobbing. And as we're like sobbing, because these are all, these are tragic characters, all of these, not, not any one person that we're dealing with in this ser- in this series has had a normal life. They're <laughs> all very tragic and we have to pull that out. You know, they've, their experience made them who they are, so therefore we need to at least have some sort of mild understanding of what they've been through, even though it's nothing that any of us have experienced in our real lives. Um, I apologize if I'm rambling, by the way. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Um, so, yes, it, it's, um, it's profound, and it's a huge responsibility. And I try not to underestimate that by any means would you say that acting you know through through your costume as as you've been saying is probably the most challenging thing about playing your roles Mm. um i think that's just another it's just another aspect to it probably not the most challenging but it's sort of the surprise like you know once you've kind of done your preparation and then you get on set and you get dressed and it's like oh okay (laughs) it's sort of that extra little you know cherry on top of the ice cream kind of surprise of like all right so here's what else I've got to like try to make work and you know try to find like 
how does the character deal with this sort of thing too? And, you know, um, so it, it's just another aspect to it after everything else has been sort of, you know, worked on and, and built up. Uh, yeah. I, I'd say, yeah, kind of the same thing. The, uh, the technical aspect of it, it's kind of like an apples and oranges thing. Um, so when it comes to technicality, yeah, I'd say definitely acting through the suit is a challenging thing, but when it comes to the emotional side of acting and the, and the characterization, for me, the hardest thing is deeply trying to understand these characters' pasts, their, their pasts, because I haven't experienced myself anything close to what Stephanie has. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure, hopefully, it's the same story for you, Tara. Um, (laughs) You know, I, Stephanie was drugged by her supervillain father at the age of, like, 13. So she had her first, like, bad drug trip when she was 13 and then went on to become a vigilante, mainly to spite her father, and then at some point was murdered and has come back. That is mm-hmm. Stephanie's really f***ed up past. That's only that's that's a very small portion of it actually. Yeah. It's been well more yeah, fucked that, up that than that. That is the truncated version. <laughs> um, and I, uh, while I have had tragedies in my life, who hasn't? Mm-hmm. You know, nothing to that. I, I wouldn't say to that extreme because everyone's tragedies are extreme compared to what they know um but i haven't had anything really in in that realm uh so it's trying to put yourself in a mindset of basically a college girl who has seen everything at this point and things that she probably shouldn't have seen that's challenging yeah (laughs) well and, and also you know to give credit to our actors for something that that I'm sure we could have expected, but I don't think we did is, you know, these characters are, they live in the minds of the readers and everyone has a slightly different interpretation of them. And yeah. even more so, you know, and, and don't, there's actually a fantastic, uh, like scarecrow backed Batman comic to this effect. But like, once you put the mask on, like you start becoming these characters and sometimes characters do things you don't think they're going to. And sometimes they respond in ways that you couldn't have predicted. And there are definitely times where, you know, the character would go off script more so than the actress would. Um, (laughs) And then you're going to put that online and somebody who doesn't think that's how the character would have acted is going (laughs) to on you about it. And that's just, (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, like these, like to to know what these girls have gone through to, to put this, this performance out there, like, I appreciate that everyone has their interpretation of the characters, and I encourage them to own it and, like, write about it and develop it and feel it. And every time they read Stephanie Brown, to read their Stephanie Brown. But the, the fact that, you know, Marisha's uh, interpretation of the character that we wrote, which is an interpretation of the character in comics, uh, itself has a life that acts the way it wants to sometimes on screen. On top of all the handicaps involved in, like, acting in that suit and not being able to hear and everything else... Uh, isn't exactly perfect, does not, in my opinion, give anyone the right to gripe. Uh, but you know what? Maybe I'm just a curmudgeon that way. And I used to walk to the comic book store uphill both ways in the snow and other such trite condolences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I try not to fault. Like I said, we have people, we have both comments of, she. oh my gosh, she was everything, she was just like the Stephanie Brown, I imagine. 
she would you know she was great to stephanie brown doesn't act like that that was terrible that was ridiculous and it's once again you can't really fault people for their opinions and yeah we're, we're portraying these characters that everyone has their own opinion of and bottom line we're not going to please everybody but we can sure as hell try <laughs> True that. Uh, you know, I do have to thank you, though, just for knowing Stephanie Brown's past, because I think that right there gives all the legitimacy that this series needs, that you guys have done your research. You know the characters. And so so I'm sorry that you're getting gripe if you are, in fact, getting that gripe, because I don't think you deserve it, because you know the history. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, for, for me, it's, um, it, it, it's my job. You know, I, I love doing this and you've got to know a character's past. And if you're playing a character who was just newly created, even if he's just got five lines, you need to know that character's past because that's important. And especially in Stephanie and, you know, in, when we're going through the script and when I'm acting, I'm, I'm considering everything that's happened to her before because that is shaping how she says the things that, she, you know, are coming off of her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My final question is about the fight sequence uh, that we see and then I guess what we will see. Uh, I just thought it was well <laughs> done. And could you give us an idea of what goes into that? Um, you've already sort of said training, and I imagine practice, but, you know, maybe choreography, or how often do you practice it before you actually shoot it, things like that? Uh, we, we should probably mention that we, we operate slightly differently, I think. I mean, w- than, than your average production either would or, uh, you know, uh, or could. Um, part of this is, um, is that, you know, Paradox Pollock, our fight coordinator, uh, is so amazing. And, and not only is he a fight coordinator, but he's a movement director and not only is he a movement director, but he's like a real study of character in a way that, and and developing character in a way that you could never imagine. And so part of what we really do is just let him do his thing. And, and your average, um, set would probably have a lot more directorial or producer control. Um, but we don't want to do that. A, he's a producer on the project. Uh, so, you know, he has a fair amount of say, but B, these are his fights. This is his opus. He, th- this guy costs more than our show costs per day on <laughs> set. And so like, we're happy to let him do it. And so the first, the first place these fights come from is the writing and, and myself and Marisha and the rest of the writers will develop like who's fighting and some of the key sort of plot points that need to come out of that fight. But then we largely turn it over to paradox and through a process of, improvisation and uh and scripted fighting concepts and developing certain concepts and developing the fighting styles of all the relevant pieces over time a fight evolves naturally from that and that's what is eventually prevented to us so yeah in fight training generally the way we work and the way um paradox likes to work um which is sort of unconventional to many other people's approaches is how, how a normal choreographer works is he has the entire fight in his mind. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Maybe a few, you know, places for improv and, and working with the people, but he's got it figured out. Uh, with Paradox, what we'll do is we'll spar. We'll set up a scenario. We'll get in the situation, and we'll just, 
you know, move it at different speeds and just see what kind of naturally comes out. And, um, and we save our fights. We, we film, like, if, uh, we try to choreograph, like, a two, a 16-count fight, um, at least by the end of every class. And maybe we'll use them, maybe we won't. You know, and we, we try new tricks. We, you know, we're trying to, we're throwing flips. We're doing what we, whatever we can. We're just experimenting, and then we kind of build from there. But the amazing thing about just sparring is we know the characters so well at this point, we can really see what would come naturally to them. And if they're in that mindset, if that's, if that's what they're thinking they're going to do, then we try and follow that as closely as possible. Yeah, that was another thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Oh, Oh, I was just going to say that um, when I wasn't, and I hope to get back to it pretty soon, but when I was with you guys working with Paradox 2, what what else was really fun with that was that, you know, he would do these exercises that get you kind of into the mindset of the character, and then the improvs that you would do would involve, like, how the character fights. What would the character do? And so it's all coming from a very character-based place, which, you know, for anybody fans watching this that's what you want to see you want to see how these characters live how these characters fight and what they do and so it's yeah. so fun to get to come at it from that place and to just develop these moves i will say i was pretty bummed for the episode to not get to do my own fights from it because <laughs> it was oh, so yeah fun. yeah but but desiree preston my body double she did a great job um <laughs> and, and at least it was based on stuff that like you know we had worked on in our sessions um, right. But yeah, but but everything really comes from the character, which is what you know everything we're doing is all about, and so it's a lot of fun to come right. at it and that it, way. It, it, it turned out to be a great way to prevent cookie cutter style fight scenes, uh, where you know, and you see it in like in tons of blockbuster movies where everyone fights the exact same way, but realistically, that is not how it works at all. So we're really developing each. Each character has their own move sets. We each have our own fighting style. We've been studying different fighting uh, martial arts, depending on who our character was. Uh, we've worked out the math, even on, on some of these moves. Um, and so it's really, and that kind of shows you the diversity where every person has their own unique style, and it brings a different color to the project. We bring in uh, experts, too. Paradox brings in experts to his Alien Fight Club classes. If anyone's in L.A., uh, Alien Fight Club is Wednesdays and Sundays, and you can uh, look for it on Facebook, I think. And Yeah, just search he... Alien Fight Club. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, but we, he brings in all these, like, incredible experts that are either fight, you know, trainers and coordinators or actual martial artists to teach, like, different lessons to, the, to everyone involved, including our cast, but also outsiders. But... Something that we also do that, that um, if you have a convention in your area, you should email them and tell them to have us bring the show there. Um, we do a live stunt show version of some of the fighting that we've developed for, for Spoiled. But we also do like sort of Paradox can bring you through the process of how we created Stephanie Brown's fighting style. And I won't, I won't ruin it all here, but, you know, it starts with the girl basically living on the streets, you know, with her abusive father and then goes through all the different stages of training that we can trace into her character. And we literally did that with Marisha. We started with one style and added more and added more and talked about why she would fight the way she does, why does she spin so much, why is she always trying to get in close and then stay far away and then getting close again but not, like, keep it mid-distance. You know, you know, how does she use her legs? How does she do this? 
and and that was all built by like practical learning about the character from reading the comics but also if you were 17 and on the streets how would you fight why would you fight that way and Marisha can demonstrate the progression of of Batgirl of Stephanie from young Stephanie to current Batgirl in in physical form because we've designed it that way and and that's something that you know we we enjoy exploring um uh you know it also uh it also informs a lot of the acting because in the process of learning about being street girl, uh, you know, uh, Stephanie, you learn that that's a, that's a time that she spent on the street and you feel that. And paradox does crazy stuff. Like if you're supposed to be like super tired and super, uh, dehydrated when you're fighting, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll tire and dehydrate you before training. <laughs> so you actually have to go through it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, he's, um, we, we've done things kind of going off of that. Um, where, you know, there's a lot of villains in the Gotham universe that use uh, hallucinogens. Mm-hmm. They use weaponized hallucinogens. And so we've gone through the process of trying to imitate a, a high and then have fought through that, which imi- the process of trying to imitate a high was basically hyperventilating yourself while doing... Um, <laughs> while doing push-ups, and when we would get that tunnel vision, we would go into sparring, and that was how he would emulate fighting if you had just got drugged. So we've done a lot of, a lot of, re- we've even done a rehearsal, or I'm sorry, we've done practices in pools, um, where we would get in a swimming pool and just practice fighting underwater. We've, we've done everything, and, and, um, it's, it was really a great way. The reason why Paradox has gotten so involved is because on these multi-million dollar budget films, it is their way or the highway, and they don't have the time or money to be experimenting. They're going to go with what they know works because time is money. So he is basically trying to implement all of these experimental ways of choreographing fights as well as filming them, that he hasn't gotten the chance to do on, say, I Am Legend or Thor. And so that's really where his commitment comes in and the reason behind us doing really crazy experimental stuff. <laughs> well, and, and you, have to, you have to realize that, like, we, you know, we love this series and we think it's going to create a, a really great thing is going to come out of it. And, and there's really, we don't think there's a question of that. But probably what will more likely come out of it is the is like the the teaching or the lesson plans that that paradox is creating about how to develop fighting styles. Um, and so uh, you know, like we're we're Alien Fight Club is is growing out of Batgirl just as much as the series is, and there's something there as a, as a former casting director and as a director and a producer, the things that. Paradox does with actors as well as physical actors as well as stunties through the process that we're developing in Alien Fight Club uh, and we are I'm saying like I have anything to f- do with it but but um <laughs> that he's developing in Alien Fight Club is going to be something that is sought after in the future and should be because honestly um not to not to stab the Nolan films for the ninth time today <laughs> the fights in those films were horrible. Like, I mean, they were, okay. they were okay. It's not like, you know, although I've now seen a fair amount of footage of them, you know, someone will punch 10 feet away from somebody and the other guy will just fall down. But, um, but the, <laughs> those fights aren't interesting. They don't remember. I was not reminded of Batman the way that, that, uh, you know, Batman fought in, 
in The Dark Knight Rises. It didn't strike me as Batman. I've read a lot of Batman, and Batman didn't go down that easy, and Batman didn't fight with his elbows so exclusively. <laughs> and, uh, and I appreciate their attempts to make it seem sort of realistic, but to me it didn't seem like realism. It seemed like someone saw a Krav Maga uh, match and was like, that's it, that's all we'll ever do. But Batman's <laughs> been trained for like a hundred years at, virtually through thousands of different forms, and he's fought Lady Shiva, and he's, you know, and he's gone through these transformative experiences as a youth, as an adult, he's built himself back up. This guy just isn't throwing elbows, and he never does in comics anyway. And it's just, and, and I appreciate, uh, and as I said, I allow Nolan to make his film his way. I don't care for it personally, but I think that that's his interpretation. But to me, the fights don't sing. You know, and, and I actually think that the episode one fights, as amazing as they are, those are like a fifth of what we can do. We were still yeah. learning how to put them on film then. We've, we've now gotten a lot better. And the fights well, in episode two ended up being a lot smaller because of how we designed that episode. Than the, but there's still a little bit of an improvement there. We shot that mostly at the same time. But by the time you see the fights in episode three, you're going to realize what we're putting together here. Right. Well, and then as the series goes on, I'm just – I'm – I – practice as much as I can and I you know I'm just going to keep improving as well so you know we we didn't blow our load in the first episode it, it gets better <laughs> sweetheart <laughs> baby love <laughs> so, yes I'm going to my last section how are we on time I hear either laundry or a microwave in the background so I don't want to keep yeah, it there that was that was me. My bad. Um, I know <laughs> I was having um, company over any minute. That was me making um, he, uh, defrosting beef for sliders. Okay. Um, but it didn't, so, it didn't have to be because for a very slender woman, Marisha eats every five available minutes. I'm sorry. This, I, this woman is like Brad Pitt in a movie. She's always has food in her hand. It's amazing okay. to me. She, well, should, she yeah. should weigh as much as I do. I probably burn like two thousand calories per fight training, so that's why. <laughs> uh, so I'll yeah, I'll, I'll cut these questions down. Uh, the first one, you know, the tone and subject matter is certainly darker and it's more adult than the comics. Well, specifically Brian Q. Miller's run, because I always feel like that one was the lightest out of all the bat books coming out at that time. So, mm. what made you want to pursue that direction? Just a darker uh, okay. story with her. I mean, well, first off, I think you have to take Stephanie as a whole, and, you know, and we, we are not, um, you, the Brian Q. Miller stuff is, is a little bit light, and I, I'll speak to why I think that's the case in just a second, but she was still tortured to death by Black Mask, like, okay. you know, yeah. two panels earlier, you mm -hmm. know, like, I mean, like, it, just because Brian Q. Miller took it in a different direction after Stephanie had returned from Africa, but by that point, she'd already, you know, at, chosen to give the child of a, you know, she had already been impregnated and chosen to give the child up for adoption. She'd already gone through all these horrible times. The, the, the initial uh, Batgirl arc by Brian Q. Miller was called Batgirl Rising, and I think it, much in the same way that Batgirl Spoiled is analogous of what we're trying to examine in the copy, Batgirl Rising really had to give Stephanie, like, that moment in the sun. And it was, like, those three uh, collected editions that, that Brian Q. Miller wrote were really about her finding her legs as Batgirl by, you know, finding out how to make it work for her. And, and it was about her relationship developing with Babs Gordon. And, I mean, she still fought, like, undead zombies that, uh, you know, were controlled by um, uh, Omega uh, directive particles from the calculator. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all sunshine and lollipops, but she also... You know, she was also, it was supposed to be, the, the nature of the story was that it was time for an uplifting story. 
had Brian Q. Miller been on that book up until today, he would have gone where we're going. Not necessarily in the same with the same plot points, not necessarily with the same choices, but once you build a character up, you have to knock them down again. You have to Tyler Durden them. You have to find out what's at the bottom of the well every time you find it's the top of the well. And that's one of the things that I really like, you know, we, we chose not to really engage with our commenters on YouTube because YouTube is not a place for civil discourse by any stretch of the imagination. But some people are saying, you know, in the comics, Stephanie always sort of wins and everything's always sort of perfect. And that's great. And we want that. We want when we came to this series, we didn't expect to see Stephanie, you know, having hard times. We expected to see Stephanie just kicking ass with no stakes. And I'm sorry, I don't want to tell that story. I don't think anyone should want to tell that story. Batgirl isn't interesting unless there's an element of risk involved, unless there's an element of emotional or physical risk involved. This woman is going out there and putting herself in danger every night of the week and to, to save other people. If you take the danger element out, the sacrifice isn't as great. She's not as heroic if she couldn't possibly be hurt. If, and you know what? The fact that she's a 90-pound girl who's, you know, at, at the time of our series, probably in her 20s, the early 20s, 20 years old maybe, you know, and that, you know, it, the stakes are even higher for her because when Batman shows up in a room, thugs turn around and run. When when Batgirl shows up in a room, they say, yeah, we could probably take her. Huh? And that that's, that's the world she lives in, and she still does it. And, like, I'm sorry, she's an incredible hero. She's an incredible character, and she's she's something that girls should look up to, and she's something that everyone should look up to as a heroic character. But that comes from stakes. That comes from the fact that she's been through it all, and she gets up there and keeps fighting. And I can tell you, I feel like I'm a strong person, but if half the that happened to her had happened to me, I would not be on the streets right now. I'd be in a basement somewhere, and I would never leave until I died and was eaten by my cat. <laughs> You know what I mean? And 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 anybody who says that because we're dealing with the dark side of it, we've somehow not approached the character. The the breath, the, the lightness is there. This was this was also in the first episode, which is where these comments are coming from. This is also that you need to 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 break the character before you can rebuild them, and that's what had to happen here. But even in general, if the whole series was like this, it would only go to point out that what this girl is doing is the apex of heroism. And again, she's not a millionaire with a million toys. She's a girl with a suit and an earbud who goes out and gets between, like, real innocent people and the most maniacal of thugs and even those little upstarts on the street. And that's what this story is about. And Brian Q. Miller would have gone there, too. I'm entirely sure of it because it is her innocence and her fragileness that are compelling about Stephanie Brown. Um, and, and it's also the reason that I hate the fact they've given Oracle her legs back in the comics because uh -huh. it was her ability to survive that adversity and to have that adversity involved with her that made Oracle amazing. Make, putting her back on her feet while charming for a hot second essentially <laughs> you know, re-paralyzes the heroism of that character because they've removed stakes. And that doesn't work for me. Removing that stakes was is not good for, thank you. Removing <laughs> yeah. stakes is not good for okay. vampires or plots. Do not remove the stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, the sex pretty much nailed that one on the head i don't think yeah. I, wanna, I don't really. think i want to follow that <laughs> okay yeah and uh i think that youtuber that's a misrepresentation i think of steph g because i don't know if i've ever seen her have a perfect day uh, she like mm -hmm. i said at the beginning she certainly makes her mistakes and she rushes into things and and she gets in deep and i think we see that in the in the episode as well. Well, we saw a wide range of characters in this episode. Uh, people that we know, like Backer Oracle, Black Canary, Penguin, 
Catwoman and Harley Quinn. Maybe a little taste of Poison Ivy with that leaf that pops out of the uh, the pipe. Are you trying to do as many sort of DC iconic characters as possible, or are you also going to start creating your own rogues list? Because that gang, I feel like that seemed wholly original. So are you going to also, are you going to sort of go on both sides there, have characters that we know and then characters that are original for you guys? Um, yes, that actually is exactly a little bit of what we're trying to do. We're also trying to throw in a few of the obscure in there as well um, to give a few Easter eggs to those people who are, you know, uh, really deep Gotham fans. Um, but yeah, the uh, the gang that you saw in the first episode was an awesome idea of Saxes. They are the Cthulhu gang. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, we're... <laughs> We're all also pretty big H.P. Lovecraft fans in this production. Um, So we decided to go with the the Cthulhu gang, and we just really loved the visual of that. And that was something that we came up with fairly on uh, in the inception of this. And we stuck with it the whole... It survived all of our different script revisions and story revisions. And um, it also gave Paradox a really interesting... You know, when you say Cthulhu, you get an immediate image in your head. And it gave him something to really explore um, as a movement director that was really incredible. And you, can, you can't see it as much in the series now as you probably sh- you know, will eventually and should eventually. We, we, you know, part of this was hedging our bets. And we created the Cthulhu gang because, well, I really wanted to, but also because... We wanted to have sort of our own gang to sort of toss around and not have to worry about, again, keeping up with everyone's, um, you know, opinions of how everyone should be treated in the series altogether. Uh, so we wanted to sort of have something we could kick around and, and, and have our own license to. Um, and uh, but but part of that was, you know, you know Par- Paradox has designed this incredible uh, movement style for them. But we, we ended up pushing him back a little bit um, uh, directorially towards something a little more traditional in terms of the way gangs are portrayed in, in other bat media, just because we didn't need to be that shocking coming out of the gate. And um, as the Cthulhu gang, you know, appears again and again throughout the series, I think we're going to start letting the, you know, un- slowly letting out the rope to allow Paradox to really show you what, like, uh, you know, a... a, a uh, this gang is all about and there's an entire backstory and all these different characters and they may not even really be called the Cthulhu gang that may be a working title but they're the Cthulhu gang we've designed for them <laughs> um, in the same way that you know Eric Cash's character may not actually be called Tentacles we just like calling him Tentacles <laughs> and uh, but no one actually says like hey Tentacles so we don't have to commit to it yet um, <laughs> it's a very strange name to have although I might name my kids Tentacles <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but no, we, we um, but you, you, uh, every episode from three until 11 is basically Batgirl plus new character, largely exploring aspects of Gotham. It sort of becomes serialized in that way. It's like Batgirl going to find knowledge or expertise or, or to explore something or to confront someone for all these various different, um, uh, for all these various different, uh, uh, you know, uh, Gothamites that we all know and love um, and uh, and so you'll see a lot of characters there but you'll also see characters that we've created and you'll also see characters that are like so obscure that you're going to have to go look them up um, and so that's about the size of that. Okay. Can we and expect, we- oh I'm sorry. 
Oh, no, I was just going to ask, actually, out of, you know, for my own curiosity, too. Like, when you say that, for the most part, the other characters are female, um, and that's kind of the direction we're coming from, which I, I think is especially good, since I think even more with the New 52, women uh, creators as far and, and characters as well have become a little bit disenfranchised. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of how this started, too, was to really give... Uh, more FaceTime uh, to, and well, not FaceTime, but just, you know, exposure to a lot of the female characters that are really amazing in DC. And so is that a lot of the characters that Steffi encounters throughout, they're for the most part women, or like, I know some other male ones are coming in too, but... I, I think they're largely women. Yeah, yeah. it's predominantly a female cast, and and it works brilliantly. One, we did it for two reasons. One, because we wanted to showcase... Um, are wonderful Gotham women who have amazing stories that you rarely hear about. And um, two, because Stephanie is going on a, a heroic mentoring journey. You know, she is going to be seeking out answers. And a woman is more likely, a, a woman vigilante in her shoes is more likely to go seek out what other women vigilantes are out there. So that's, you know, when, when Batwoman starts coming in. Um, because that's what she's curious about. So those are kind of the reasons we're skewing towards that way. And like I said, the women are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're I, still I, need to be told. I, I yeah. feel like sometimes when people, when, when, when uh, like our female cast members or when women who are fans of, of, you know, the, the Gotham universe talk about how they want to see more female characters. There's some sort of like, you know, like the, 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 um, the misogyny of, of comic fans is they were like, Oh, you just want to see more women. Cause you are also a woman. And I'm sure that's part of it, but let's be honest. The women are the best written characters in Gotham easily. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you can't, there's something so wonderful about the way the Gotham women, like the rogues gallery and the heroes have developed. It's they're the best women in comics. They're the most interesting characters. They're the most compelling. They have the most connections. I think the reason that being is because a lot of that is centered around the fact that they're in Gotham, which is, you know, famously one of the worst towns in comic books. You know, like it's, uh, it's rough and being a woman in Gotham breeds a certain kind of person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, and, these, you can't, you can't mess around in Gotham and not get killed. So you gotta be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and speaking of too, just to touch on like for the last time, the Nolan verse, like when you watch those films, it's so hard to even imagine like before Catwoman, especially it was so hard to even imagine female uh, characters, female villains, whatever, in that universe at all. And so it's so nice to create one where, you know, you actually get to see them living in it the way you know that they do, you know, as a fan. So that's another thing that we can bring to it that we haven't really gotten to see in, in recent incarnations. And, and you know, as the executive producer, um, I wanted to see the characters that I wanted to see on screen, and it just so happened that making making a decided, like a concerted effort to see all the women of Gotham um, may became g- gave me what I wanted because like another character that I love is the question. I love the Renee Montoya question. And I, and I say that having loved the Vic Sage question and being very sad when he died and not wanting to like Renee Montoya, but I do. And she's amazing. And so the last thing I was going to do was let the series go, you know, five episodes without meeting her. 
you know, and so, and, and in the same way, like I, I've, uh, uh, there's so much good in there that a lot of our favorites are in there, men and women. Uh, but you know, when we have a series that's episodic and you can really sort of do a little bit of sort of restaging between every episode and really get a chance to sure, you know, we can have a Jim Gordon episode if we wanted to, I'm not saying we do, but we do. <laughs> um, okay. so, you know, like, and I love Jim Gordon, and I wanted to know, we wanted to explore him, so mm-hmm. it became really interesting. So, like, yeah, all the characters that people love are in there, because the characters we love are in there, and we're people. I've been led to believe. <laughs> Can we expect to see Stephanie Brown's father, Calculator, in there? Uh, uh, no comment. Okay. Can we expect to see Waffles at all? Oh. Uh, oh, but, uh, by the way, I should point out that Stephanie Brown's father um, is the clue master, not Calculator. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but still yeah. no comment in either case. <laughs> uh, uh, and yes, there will be some waffles. And okay. those of you who are really dedicated to keeping track of our YouTube will get some, some early waffle goodness soon. So. Uh, <laughs> so what can we expect? What can you let us whet our appetites with? Let's see. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let each of us tell a secret. How does that play? Uh, <laughs> that sounds wonderful ooh. for me. All right, so so if you guys want to talk about something that's coming up a little bit, you know, still be obscure. Um, let's see that one of my favorite episodes um, that we've developed so far um, involves a uh, one of the more deadly character. I'm, I'm going to. This isn't going to be a secret because I'm not going to actually tell you. But one of the more <laughs> deadly characters in the uh, DC universe who has. A, uh, a history with Batgirl or with uh, Stephanie Brown, if you read the comics, uh, uh, you know, with, with enough detail, comes looking for uh, Stephanie, and they have one of the more epic fights in the series. And this is a guy who, um, to, to not to put too fine a point on it, has uh, is living proof of his success rate. So we'll see how well uh, Stephanie plays out in that circumstance. Yeah, um, that's gonna be a good I'll, one. Yeah. Um. So I'll do one that I'm actually. Uh, not sure is still going on or not, um, but from Harley's uh, perspective, uh, and again, tell me if this is like not happening anymore, I don't know, but uh, there's something that uh, will be occurring in her world that uh, is kind of inevitable, but insane, uh, and just... Uh, I don't know. Just, that, that is going to happen, but they're going to have to wait till season two. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Oh, I thought, man. I thought it was going to be hinted at in season oh, one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe if, if they hint- watch closely enough, they'll see it. But um, it's definitely yeah, okay. something that um, fans have been asking, you know, about for a long time. So that's in there too. Hopefully, yeah. it's not that Joker takes his face off. No. <laughs> oh, God. We promise a Joker <laughs> with his face on. Been done. Awesome. No. <laughs> Um, let me see. Um, how can I be vague about this? Um, I am really excited for one of our later episodes. Stephanie is going to have a really epic rooftop battle with a uh, fellow member of the Bat family. And it's going to be uh, pretty intense. She's definitely going to be looking into her past a bit. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I don't. Know, I, I'm not even so sure we should be obscure about that one because the fans are always asking if us if this person is in the series. But uh, so if anyone wants to go through the comments on the YouTube and and like calculate the person asked if they're going to be in it more the most that isn't Batman, 
Yes, that yeah. one. That's the one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you can choose if you want to be spoiler-tastic. Oh, no. <laughs> so I think that has certainly wet all our appetites. But finally, how can fans support you? Not only watching, but can they do anything else to help this series out? Okay, well, let's 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 just start off with the fact that if they live in, in L.A., um, well, no, okay, if they live anywhere and they can tell their local conventions that they want to have a screening of our web series uh, or they want to have us, you know, perform a live stunt show or, or talk about the history of Stephanie Brown, uh, we also have a bunch of other, like, geek friends that travel with us and we can do, like, geek improv shows or we do, like, a, you know, who is the best Robin panel, stuff like that. Um, we'll, we'll tell, tell your local con to contact Bat Cow Productions by way of our... Uh, you know, our Facebook group or something, and we'd love to talk to them, especially if they'll fly us out there, because my job's not that good. Um, but, uh, but also, uh, you know, if they live in L.A. And they, and they have a production skill or can make 100 brownies or something and want to contribute to, you know, the sort of Bat Cow Productions Coalition of the Willing, we'd be like to, to hear with them, too. I mean, we're not going to associate with just anybody on set, because, you know, we have a very vulnerable actress girl who's going to be getting kicked in the face, and we want to make her feel safe and everything. But like, but if you're interested, let us know. We're interested in talking to you about that. And and then lastly, and this is probably the first place this is ever really going to be officially mentioned. We had intended for episodes one and two to take about a month to produce, uh, just even accepting the fact that we uh, have jobs and we don't make any money at this, and uh, you know, and and if we had to do so much to get it done. We were like, we'll just do a month each. And with zero dollars and everything else, um, it just didn't happen. Um, it took almost a year to produce one, to put, bring one and two to screen. Two is coming out very soon for those of you who are about to scream at their um, uh, <laughs> iPad or whatever, iPod. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we're going to be putting a Kickstarter out or an Indiegogo or something in the next few weeks, just around the time that episode two drops. And we're going to tell people, you know what? What we need is just a little bit of help from the fans for finishing funds for some of these episodes. And it really, it's not going to be enough to make the episode. It's not going to be enough for, for anything other than just that little extra couple of hundred dollars to a couple of thousand dollars per episode that allows us to produce it quickly. And that's what we need. We don't want to ask anyone for money for this. We don't want to make a profit from this. No one's going to make a profit from this. We don't want we don't want enough money to make it easy. We just want enough money to make it fast. Because it's a sort of production triangle that I think is largely fictional, where it can either be good, uh, fast, or cheap. And right now, because we have to make it cheap, we have to make it good and cheap. And we'd like to make it good and fast and cheap, because guess what? or rather good and fast, because people want to see these episodes. And making you wait six months for an episode sucks. We feel it. We understand it <laughs> sucks. And, and we're also getting really tired of being threatened. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, so, to that, to that end, you know, if, if uh, when that happens, if people want to check out the, there'll be a, a video about it on the YouTube or whatever on the Facebook group, you know, check out, come in, just throw a couple of dollars at us and it will, will spell out exactly where the money's going to go and how it's going to make the show come out faster. But with that amount of money, we can produce an episode every month or month and a half in a way that's really meaningful. And, and we know the prevailing wisdom on YouTube is to like, put it out every week or two days or all you people get bored. But we made a ninja out of Marisha Ray here, people. You can wait a month. <laughs> Amen. Word. Okay. Well, thank you so much to Sax, Marisha, and Tara taking time out on a Friday. I know that's a lot to ask, but it, it's been such a pleasure just to talk with you about this wonderful show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, tweet us at at Batgirl Spoiled. Okay, there you have it. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?